Hello, dear friends. Welcome to the Principled Podcast. From the work we do with hundreds of school leaders around the globe, it is becoming clearer and clearer to us at Making Stuff Better that a new way of thinking is needed in order to meet the needs of a rapidly changing world. The challenge and opportunity for us at MSB is always this. How can we help leaders in schools develop new ways of thinking that align with the emergent reality of life in the 21st century? If we accept that a new way of thinking is needed, which we do, and that educators are pivotal in creating the conditions for change that are so needed in the world, then what are the implications for school leaders as they continue to grow learning communities that thrive? It's a big question. So for this second season, we're going to refine our quest and focus specifically on systemic and organisational health. What is it? What does it feel like? How do you create it? And what matters about it? And how might thinking from a systemic perspective help us in the challenges I've just outlined? We're not looking for a single answer. As Meg Wheatley rightly says, everyone in a complex system has a slightly different interpretation. The more interpretations we gather, the easier it becomes to gain a sense of the whole. So gather interpretations we will. Join us in this second season where we will draw on wisdom of leaders from the worlds of ecology, systems thinking, poetry, dendrology, that's the study of trees, I had to look it up, and many, many more. This season is a series of journeys we will take to explore what organisational health means in a school in the 21st century. It's by me, Matt Hall, and my friend and colleague Naomi Ward, powered by Making Stuff Better. Hi Matt, you? Yeah, good. Looking forward to this week. I say that every time, no, but yeah, you and I have been chatting, haven't we, how mindful we are that we're approaching this topic, you know, with our Western lens, which we can't help with our particular approach and view of the world. And so that's all well and said, but what if you're working in a school in a very different context? Yeah. And specifically today, we're talking about cultural difference and the interplay between being a guardian of organisational health and coherence with all of that difference and potential for different ways of communicating and interpretation being within your environment. And it's just a fascinating subject that I'm sure we'll return to. And our guest, Shane Leaning, has worked in China and is really well informed about the opportunities and the barriers that, that are here. Absolutely. I think what's what's going to be really useful is, you know, Shane's still in China. We're going to talk to him in a moment from Shanghai. Yeah, a lot of experience working in international school groups, an international leadership development coach, a bit like us. Also a fellow podcast host. So Shane hosts the Global Ed Leaders podcast, which I'm sure he'll tell us more about. But we're talking to Shane primarily because we're curious to think about organizational health within another context, another culture, and specifically in the Chinese culture. So, yeah, let's get started. Okay. Right, well, it's really nice to be on this this week's episode of the Principal Podcast and delighted to welcome, to join Naomi and I, Shane Leaning. Welcome, Shane. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on. Let's jump straight in. We've been exploring organisational health this season as you know, and Naomi and I are really mindful that we are definitely approaching this with a real inevitable bias as Westerners. And we're acutely aware that so many of the people that listen to our podcast are running schools in cultures 
contexts that are not their native, that are different to the one in which they were raised. And, and we know that international school leaders are really good at navigating that complexity. But we really wanted to, given your experience, talk to you about the sensitivities around contextual issues when it comes to leading organisational health. So there we go. There's a simple question. <laughs> given your experience, and I know your experience is predominantly based in China, what should we be thinking of? What are we blind to? What It's very easy to say, oh, you know, here's a podcast on leading organisational health, but what might we need to consider if we were thinking about that within the context of where you're living? Yeah, absolutely. Well, firstly, I'd say we need to understand what the context of international schools are, because I think, you know, we can sometimes feel a little bit bad by the Western-centric nature of international schools thinking, you know, is that truly international? And I guess if you were a purist, you'd say, of course, that that's not. But the, the reality is many international schools are set up around the world as a kind of a Western view of education kind of exported to different countries around the world. In, uh, certainly in Asia, that is very true out here, that when people go to an international school, what they're expecting is something of the kind of schooling that you might expect to see in Europe or, or in America or in the UK. So firstly, I would say you don't have to almost apologize as such for being an international school and what that might mean. I, I mean, some some people would say, a better way to describe our international schools are more westernized schools, you know, ab abroad anyway. So I, I think that is always going to be something that you're thinking about as a leader in a school. You, you're not necessarily wanting to totally change some of these Western ideals because sometimes that's, that's why the school exists in the first place. But having said that, I guess there are many ways where you are sitting within another culture. And m most importantly, in the work that I do with schools, you're working with staff. And of course, you're working with students from other cultures. And therefore, you have to be aware of what, what they bring to your school, what, what they're bringing in terms of their past experiences, in terms of their approaches to education, in terms of their philosophies, and in terms of also leadership practices in the schools. Yeah, so I'm I'm hearing a paradox essentially that and maybe this is the gateway to the complexity that you have this purpose of exporting a Western philosophy of education and yet for organizational health you have to include everything and everyone. So what what does that raise for what has that raised for you in your leadership out in China? Exactly. That, that is the complexity in a nutshell. So, I mean, in my perspective, so for the last um, 10, 11 years, I've been out in, in China working in leadership in international schools out here and also in a group level capacity as head of teaching and learning across a network of schools. And the schools I've worked with have been a mixture of international schools, but also bilingual schools. And these bilingual schools in China are actually, you know, the way the schools are operated is their structure is kind of 50% Chinese, 50% international in terms of their staffing. Now, even though you're coming in to that in with these schools going, okay, we're delivering it in an international way, which is kind of this westernized style of education, you've got 50% of your staff who've come from an Eastern philosophy. So there's going to be very different 
issues that you have to face as a school and you can't make assumptions in the way that you might run an international school in Europe or an international school in the US. So one that comes to mind, well, one that comes up a lot actually is to do with decision-making in, in schools. So we might go, if we're looking at organizational health of, a, of an international school, you might go, okay, what, what would healthy decision-making look like? And you might say things like, okay, we think we should be seeing when we go into a school open dialogue. We should be seeing a lot of collaborative decision-making. We talk a lot in leadership about teacher leadership, teacher-centered leadership, where teachers are coming together in working groups to make decisions. And it's almost kind of a, a flat structure seen as is quite ideal. However, in China, most Chinese organizations actually have quite a hierarchical structure and authority is given significant importance in Chinese society. And decision-making is often very centralized, kind of where senior leaders make the key decisions in the school. This is then disseminated down, down the hierarchy. And indeed, then when a teacher wants to make a big decision, they're probably less likely to be empowered to make that decision on their own and more likely to take it up the hierarchy to someone maybe with more experience in that area who will make that decision for them. I think this kind of creates a real challenge because I've seen time and time again, leaders come into schools, international leaders, maybe European leaders, American leaders, Australian leaders, who get intensely frustrated by this and say, this is not good leadership. You shouldn't be doing it like this. And my, my challenge to them is, whoa, you know, are we really okay to, to, to label that so quick as not good leadership? I mean, does China operate effectively, you know, in terms of, in terms of their economy, in terms of how society runs? Well, yes, they're a very successful country. And potentially we have to be careful about where our leadership experience is coming from a Western centric notion of effective leadership. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hearing we think about organizational health as coherence, a healthy flow of energy through an organization. And there's potentially a lot of barriers or blockages here. What have you found useful in sort of moving through those blockages to sort of release that energy into co-leadership that works? Absolutely. So firstly, doing it along the way rarely, rarely works in terms of when you come across a challenge or you come across something that you want to fix, if you haven't had previous discussions about what the nature of your school is or how decisions are made or what the philosophy is of your school, you're going to come across a, a big barrier very quick. And I see this with a lot of schools who try to implement something and then go instantly into frustration because they've got two, two colleagues or two systems or two groups of people who can't move past a certain point. So, for me, you know, I would say really early on in your journey or as soon as possible, if you haven't, scheduling time with your teams to first go, what does, can we agree what organizational health looks like and feels like and sounds like in our particular context? That really requires an open dialogue at the beginning and a real exploration of some of those barriers. So I would suggest, you know, early on before the issues arise, can we talk about decision-making process? What does that look like? And can we resolve some of those issues before, before they might happen? Because there's also others, there's other areas that there might be clashes on. It might not just be that, it might also be communication styles. This is something that comes up a lot is, you know, in terms of meetings that happen in schools. So 
often, for example, in China, communication might be very indirect. It might be quite nuanced. And there's a lot of idea around the preservation of face or, you know, how many, how many within a room or how many within a group. And so direct criticism is often avoided in any public setting. Whereas in, you know, Western style international schools, communication is often going to be more direct. It's, it's seen constructive criticism is seen as a, a positive that's often set up as a way to improve and, and grow. And what I would say is be careful that your answer isn't to go, well, how do we help our Chinese colleagues in my context to become more direct? Or how do we help them to actually engage in these conversations? Because I've rarely seen that work unless in a very, very established school culture. The better place to start is to go, well, what is the reality of our communication styles? And does that mean that sometimes when we're going to have a a big conversation or a big debate around a, a specific idea. Maybe we want to, before the meeting, actually give people a chance to voice their opinions anonymously, maybe on an online padlet, and then come to the meeting and discuss that. So people have had a chance to, to respond in a non-confrontational way and then discuss it in a safer way. That might be a way that appeases both sides. It doesn't mean you have to just jump to kind of training, it's, it's kind of a deficit model, isn't it, to look at your Chinese colleagues as, as having some kind of deficit that you need, to, you need to work on. Hello, friends. It's Matt here, just interrupting your podcast to let you know that if you're enjoying the nature of the guests and the conversations, then there's plenty more to get involved in over at MSB. We run a symposium series. These are interactive, live online workshops two or three times a term where we invite speakers from the podcast and beyond to come and work directly with school leaders and educators around the world. They're small groups, no more than 40 normally in a session, and they are really, really engaging and stimulating ways of thinking and reflecting on your leadership. All you have to do is head over to makingstuffbetter.com forward slash symposium, and you can sign up for one, two, three, as many of them as you like, and we'd love to see you there. That's makingstuffbetter.com forward slash symposium. They really, really are exciting and engaging workshops from a range of really interesting and different speakers. Hope to see you there. On with the podcast. You know, if I was really interesting in what you said there about how you might approach that is that we know from podcasts and the work that we do that one of the characteristics of systemic and organization how to the the starting point almost the, the bedrock is acknowledging what what is and it's really interesting hearing it show up you know as a successful strategy there you know acknowledging the rather than yeah yearning for a change in the way in which communication is done or or trying to force a change actually acknowledging what is and then building around that Sounds like in your experience, that's been far more successful as you've seen it. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, another great example is to do with, you know, work-life boundaries. It's something that actually, uh, you know, during COVID was, was something that I was speaking about a lot. So a lot of international schools might have a real 
you know, strong policies on work-life balance. And maybe that's to do with communications. So maybe we'll say, oh, okay, we only communicate in email. We only communicate within these times. But you'll find in China, for example, most communication, you know, in the workplace around China doesn't happen over email anyway. It happens over messaging. The Chinese messaging app is called WeChat, similar kind of thing to WhatsApp. And sometimes, you know, there's your school's very well-intentioned who've tried to say, okay, no work talk over WeChat. You have to communicate by email. But in that moment, when a leader has made that decision, they've done that decision without the knowledge of WeChat's place within work society in China. And from that moment on, they're going to come across barriers. And sadly, many schools have implemented these policies. And what ends up happening is you get secret streams of communication over WeChat happening at the side. And you start to operate schools in silos where you've got Chinese staff on the one side communicating here and international staff communicating at the other side um, through emails, feeling very proud that they're following the policy and feeling angry that there's a side of the school that are not. But actually, this could have been resolved a lot earlier by saying, okay, can we actually take a step back and look at, look at the why of communication? Look at what does work-life balance mean to people here, to all of our stakeholders. And does that mean we have to have a bit of more of a nuanced understanding of what communication looks like? So, so interesting. And one of the other things we're learning about organizational health is this ability to just adapt and flow with what is. And I hear that that's part of the international educators mindset, which I'm sure many of our listeners will be familiar with. (laughs) This is the water they swim in, but there's this adaptability, curiosity, acknowledging what is. I'm wondering what other qualities you see us needing to cultivate in order to really leverage this cultural richness in organizations. Because, you know, like you said, this isn't a deficit. What if this was a huge strength of these organizations? Yeah, I really like how you've talked about it being about adaptability and curiosity. I think that is the only way you can approach these situations. And more than anything for me, that need for real curiosity comes from this point that there are no actual answers to these. So I could kind of list off some of these issues like, you know, what's the, you know, the challenge between hierarchical decision-making or flat decision-making or the challenge between direct and indirect communication styles or, you know, different messaging platforms. I've, I've not really got hard solutions for any of those points. The, 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 the only thing I can offer to schools is for them to kind of think about, think with curiosity rather than frustration about these challenges and to not see them as challenges of the other, but challenges of being the, the nature of running an international an international organization. I think to your question, Naomi, if I was to think about something actionable that that schools could do is I would really look at how you are actively developing intercultural competence in your school for your staff and, and for your students. Usually we're quite good at doing it with students. We've got structured structured programs around these things, either either that's, you know, through organizations like the IB or through studying global perspectives or just through, you know, uh, our subjects in general. But for staff, I think there's, you know, not so many explicit tools out there, but there's one that I love to do 
to use. And that's a tool called, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called the Autobiography of Intercultural Encounters. Have you heard of it before? Only through you, Shane. And I, I really want to explore it further. Yeah. Could you tell us a little more about? Yeah. So this, this is, this tool It's about 10 years old now, but I, I think it's, it, it's pretty wonderful. And, 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 like yourself, hardly anyone's heard of it. I don't think their marketing was very good. This is a study that was set up and they've created a load of tools around it um, from the Council of Europe. It's a self-reflection tool for you to really reflect on any intercultural encounters you've had in your life as a tool to really open your eyes to what might be happening there. So I used it a few years ago. It's something that adults can use themselves. You've got like a booklet that you can follow, which takes you through a set of questioning. And I believe, um, maybe you can put a link in the show notes, they've created a free course that you can go through this process. And I've gone through this process myself and, and I've encouraged a few of my colleagues to do the same. But by actually going through a structured process of going, so the way this is structured is you would pick a situation where you've had an encounter. So that might have been as a child, the first time you saw someone who had a different color skin to yourself, or it might be a time when you first went abroad or you first met someone from a different culture. You so you first saw a different religion, whatever it is, you, you find an intercultural encounter that you've had in your life that might've been significant in some way. And then through a set of questions, almost kind of coaching style questions, you start to really interrogate that intercultural encounter and start to untangle what you were being presented with, but also what you were bringing to that conversation. And it helps you resolve some of the feelings that you might have had, understandable feelings in that situation. So for example, you could even take this for, you're a school leader, you're frustrated that your meetings you've got, say you've got some British colleagues and you've got Chinese colleagues in my context, and maybe the Chinese side of the room is always quiet in your meetings. You're frustrated about that. So what you could do is before you go into problem solving, into kind of thinking, how do I resolve this? You can do your own reflection on that intercultural experience and start to break down actually what's happening. Do your own mini independent research project into what's happening in that encounter. And is there, is there some understanding I need to have of this situation before I jump to the next step, which is to create some strategy around it. So tools like that, I think can really help help in this situation. That's just one tool. And it, the nice thing is about this tool, it also has a, a picture version, which can be done for any staff who don't have English as a strong language, it's in a couple of languages as well. And there's also a version for teenagers to do. So you can even do it as an activity with your students. That sounds so useful. <laughs> and, and like anything, I guess it's scaffolding that reflective process, which hopefully over time you can do in real time. So yeah, thank you. We'll definitely, we'll definitely share that. And I'm certainly reflecting on some experiences that I've had when coaching and I have learned now to include a question at the beginning, which is what should we do to pay attention to the difference between us? And just that question opens up terrain that I would not have known otherwise. So yeah, I'm really curious to, to try that reflective tool. Yeah, Matt, what's coming up for you? The default often in these situations, if I feel, feel what kind of happens to me, in my body, if you like, is fear, nervousness, cautiousness. I know this from working internationally, but I also know this from working with a lot of the heads that we work with. There's a kind of real voice there. I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to offend. 
way you're positioning it as an opportunity and as a, you know, start with what we've got and how do we build with what we've got rather than how do we change or how do we adapt or how does each side of a perceived, of a perceived but non-existent kind of gap between one group of people and, and another. As soon as we start seeing it in a binary way, it sounds like it's really unhealthy. So as soon as we see it as an opportunity, it sounds like it's really exciting. Yeah. And you know, the way you've just <clears throat> described, you know, how, how you might approach this, you know, I, I think you can almost split many people into the two camps, right? You get confronted with an intercultural complexity, you know, for, within your school and you either you either attack it as a, I, I know what should be happening here. And so I'm going to, I'm going to try force that through, or you proceed with so much caution that you, you don't act at all and you don't have the conversation. That's why I think there's no shame in bringing tools into the school or bringing tools into your practice to actually structure some of these intercultural encounters that you're, that you're having. Yeah. And a huge benefit of that is that it depersonalizes it, doesn't it? I think any, any framework or any, any tool like that, in my experience, it can make it about the tool as the kind of almost the intermediary rather than it being about a person. Curious, Shane, just to maybe bottom line as we come towards the end of our conversation today, if, if I was giving you the ta- challenge of saying, you know, go out to a school as a new leader and approach this with the experience you have and in light of the conversations we have, where might be your starting points? What might be a few things you might kind of low-hanging fruit, if you like, say, well, I'm definitely going to do this. I'll definitely do that. For me, you know, it, it, it's the classic of you. If you're going into a new into a new school and a new setting, the first thing you've got to do is is listen and listen really hard. I think going into an international school, you're listening. You have to think in a, another dimension is what are the different modes of listening that I can use? And I think you have to really employ as many modes as you can to capture the different the different styles in the school. So maybe a natural point is for you to go into meetings. That might be a normal thing you do to try gauge opinions. Well, that might work culturally for some, but maybe for others, maybe one-to-one, maybe you need more anonymous systems. Maybe there are also sometimes ways that you need to listen in through a local ear as well, someone who's already trusted in the school, because you might assume that coming in as a new friendly face, that people are automatically going to be open to you. But imagine if you have come from hierarchical system where that, you know, you're, you're worried about the accountability from the top. You're probably, you know, you might find different cultures moderate themselves in different ways. So are there leaders within your school already who are actually going to be a better source to kind of understand, understand what's going on in the school? I, I think what I try to say is just as, as, as hard as you can coming in with no assumptions. And, you know, that sounds obvious and it's always the, the leadership advice, but, you know, constantly time and time again, we lean on our previous practice when we see a problem and we lean on our previous experience. And I think in an international school, the wise thing to do is to leave as, as much of that as you can at the door, or at least to employ a kind of a curious mindset, like, like you said. And know I mean, when you're asking the questions in your school and ensuring that you're, you're asking them in a safe way to understand it better. I would say that it's also worth bearing in mind we, when we think about developing cultural competence in, in schools, we have to distance how we do that with children to how we do that with adults as well. Because when, you know, we, we're, 
kind of experts at doing that in, in our international schools, I would hope, with children. But remember that children are still in their developmental stage and they're heavily influenced by their international school community. So we might see the end product of the, the, the end of our school, these students coming out, these wonderful open international intercultural mindsets. But adults have already been shaped by their own individual cultural context. So even though you might have a target for the students, that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be the target for the adults. You might have to go about it in a slightly a slightly different way. I've seen some schools that are totally Chinese run, for example, who have produced really well-rounded, globally-minded student citizens, but have not been run by the staff in the exact same ideals as, as the students. And, you know, that's something we have to pay attention to. Well, there's so much more here. This feels like a whole, the next season of the podcast, Matt. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, certainly that we're getting towards that sort of inner work of the individual to sort of release bias and old ways of knowing into this sort of these levels of listening and attunement with a kind of inner coherence. And, and I think we're learning that you know, in order to lead organizational health, you yourself, you have to be coherent and healthy to do that work, which is something that never stops, does it? That path. But yeah. So before we close, Shane, is there anything else you'd like to point us to or, or share with our listeners? So I think if you link to that autobiography of intercultural encounters, that's going to be very, very helpful to listeners. But yeah, I'd also just say, you know, keep listening to others in the field who are, who are going through those similar journeys. There's so many groups out there of, of leaders or, or, or school practitioners who are discussing things with each other. Use, use social media, kind of talk to each other about these things. I have a podcast, Global Ed Leaders, where I talk with different leaders for international schools around the world to reflect on that. But I'm also very active online and that's where most of my learning comes comes from. And I just, I, I, I find the online community and education just a wonderful place to, to bounce these ideas around in, in quite a safe space. Thanks, Shane. Thanks so much for coming on. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Naomi. A pleasure. Again, another Another juicy conversation that I feel like we could have gone on for hours. As you say, an entire, entire new season could be devoted to this topic. Yeah, I think we've got we've got the next season for sure. We just scratched the surface and, you know, as always, we're thinking about what we're taking away. And what's still here for me is this kind of mindset and consciousness of just needing to let go of pushing or forcing or changing based on your own shaping and really having that curiosity and humility to be an international school leader. What are you taking away? Yeah, I think maybe that point that came out for me midway through about, yeah, and I suppose it is a letting go, but it's, it, you, you can get really kind of, the limbic system get really hijacked by the worries about navigating this stuff. But when Shane kind of said, you know, just, just starting with what you've got, and acknowledging what is, you know, it's such a helpful, helpful and healthy kind of gateway into so many things that, and I know it's such a pillar of systemic health in the research, just acknowledging what is true or what is, um, just accepting that as your starting point. 
I think there's a lot of wisdom, a lot of wisdom in that approach. And I think it, it can land you in a pretty good place if you, if you apply it in this, in this scenario, but in many others. Uh, and also, just with acknowledging what is, you might have many different viewpoints on that because of the cultural perspectives of the people that you're working with. Uh, you know, we know that divergence, that creative tension is what leads to organizational health. So I think it's welcoming being in that unknowing of all those different perspectives and I guess giving it space to be rather than this action bias we have of plowing on regardless. And as Shane so clearly illustrated, if you do that, then parts of the system that need to be expressed will leak out in other ways. So I guess there's a holding of difference that is uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good point. Yeah, sometimes being with what is is not being with the easy stuff or being with the clean, tidy stuff. It's being with the complexity and, and being with the messiness. There could be joy in that, right? And exploration. And yeah, it, feel, it feels like the right place to be, but it's easy for me to say in this <laughs> recording this podcast. We'd love to hear what our listeners think. But, you know, do follow up with Shane's work, the Global Ed Leaders podcast. He also pointed us to the resource for reflecting on your own intercultural encounters. We'll share that in the show notes. Anything else, Matt? Yeah, just head to shaneleaning.com if you uh, if you want to connect with Shane. And he's on all the usual platforms, LinkedIn and Twitter in particular. Until the next time. See you next time, Matt. Thank you for coming along with us on this principled journey. To learn more about making stuff better and how we can help you and leaders in your school, please do get in touch through hello at makingstuffbetter.com. Alternatively, you can find us in all the usual places like LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Links are in the show notes below. And don't forget to subscribe, and if you can, leave us a review. That's all for now. See you next time. Mm-hmm.